Hello, Longview Point. As you go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Micah chapter 3, I want to take just a moment and encourage you to just stay connected with your connect groups. I know our students have connect groups each weekend. It is a great opportunity for discipleship, accountability, and honestly just fellowship. And so I hope that as we continue to study, continue to look through God's Word together, that you will make that a priority, even with the weather warming up but that you will long to meet together and uh, just really spend that time in God's Word, studying with discipleship and accountability. Hopefully you're in Micah chapter 3 now, but as we get into it, the, the whole passage here is talking about leaders and, and the, the leaders being held accountable for their actions. One of my favorite truths about leadership is that if you think you're leading and no one's following you, then you're just taking a walk. And I, I've always found that kind of humorous, but I think it's even more humorous now coming from a guy who's standing in a room with nobody in it talking to you about leadership. But after hearing the report that Micah is giving to the leaders here in Micah chapter three, they really wish that, that the leaders, no one was following the leaders because the leaders are doing such a poor job of not just doing what was expected of a leader, but actually doing the exact opposite of what a true godly leader should do. And really Micah comes and he sets this whole thing up as a court proceeding. He sets it up as, as a time where he is laying out the accusations that God has given him about the leaders, about the false prophets in uh, the kingdom of Judah, and he's laying those out as court accusations. These are the proceedings that he's coming into. It's divided up into three sections. He, he brings charges against the people who were entrusted to lead the heads of Jacob there at the beginning, and then he goes into the false prophets after that, and then he kind of summarizes the whole thing, and he, he brings it back together of what the consequences are for their actions. As we read this, your natural inclination may be to read through it very, very quickly and to, to brush over some of the, the gruesome language that's actually here. Micah is not uh, mincing his words. He's not, he is coming after them because they're leading people astray. And I want us to read it and be careful and look at it with a closer examination so that we can see what it is that they're doing wrong and honestly realize that this is not something that's just taking place in 700 BC, but this is stuff that's taking place in our lives, in our world, in our country, in our places today. And so let's read Micah chapter three. And then before we leave, there's always hope. And we'll look at the beginning of Micah chapter four as well. Micah chapter three, starting in verse one says this. It starts just like the, the first oracle did. It says, and I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, it is not for you to know justice. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot like flesh in a cauldron. Like I said, just the, the imagery that's gruesome, that is just weighty right there about the leaders, what they are doing to the people. We'll talk about that some more. Verse four, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. 
Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seer shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice, who make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall overcome us. No, no disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So what are the charges that Micah is bringing against the people of Judah, the leaders of Judah during this time? The first thing that he's doing is he is accusing the leaders of forgetting what is right and what is wrong. You see, from the very beginning in, in Exodus, you know, Moses is talking to Jethro, his father-in-law, and Jethro gives him the, the advice that, look, you need to set judges up. You need to have help here with judging over these people. There are too many. There's too many issues. And so we need to set some people up. But he sets them aside and says, look, these need to be people who are capable men, men who fear God and men who are trustworthy and hate dishonest gain. You see, the leaders of Judah, the leaders of Israel, they should know right and wrong. They have the, the truth of God's word that they have had for centuries at this point, and they can know right and wrong, but they don't. In fact, what he tells us there in verse uh, one, is it not for you to know justice, but you who hate the good and love the evil. You see, the, the leaders here were not only abandoning what God had called them and told them that was good, but he was also celebrating the evil. They were out for, for dishonest gain. As you look through this passage, there's one word that continues to go through it. And, and honestly, you see it throughout this entire book. It's the word justice. And that's to, to act rightly on what you know is true and good. To, to really live everything out. But these were leaders. These were people who were unjust. They were not following right and right as they should, but instead they were choosing to celebrate evil. You see that also in verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. They detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. They were setting things up for their favor, for their good, and not to do the best for leading. So he accuses them of forgetting what is right and what is wrong, but he also accuses them of something else. He accuses them of abusing the people that they're supposed to lead. 
And honestly, saying that he, they're abusing the people, it, it fails in comparison to the words that he uses right here in Micah chapter 3. He accuses them of cannibalism. He goes that far. And it's imagery. They're not actually doing that. But if you remember, when we look back at Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, they're stealing the land from people. They're taking advantage of them because the, the wealthy were getting much more wealthy. The poor were getting much more impoverished. And so there is this this theme rolling throughout of the leaders who are abusing the people that they're supposed to be caring for. Instead of serving like uh, Christ would serve, I think about Philippians chapter 2, how he humbled himself even though he was 100% God. He humbled himself to become a servant, even a servant on the cross. But yet these leaders were lifting themselves up but they weren't just lifting themselves up. They were stepping on people to get themselves higher. But they were so confident that nothing was going to happen to them. They talk about it that, that look, we are from this tradition. We, have the, we are the people of God. It's almost like the, the, the Pharisees were talking about, oh, we're children of Abraham. Who are you to talk to about that? But they professed to follow the Lord, but their lives didn't reflect it. You see that in verse 11. It says, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. We'll talk about that some more. The prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. You see, they were giving lip service to God, but they, their, their lives did not reflect that whatsoever. You know, I mentioned the, the Pharisees. Micah's not the only one who calls out people who are self-righteous. Jesus does that throughout the Gospels as he calls the religious leaders of his day a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. You see, we have to be so mindful uh, of the way that we live. Do the words that we say and the actions of our life line up together? Do the way that we treat people really, does it really look like the way that Christ treated people? I was listening to a sermon the other day and, and, and they were talking about how they had an evangelism experience with somebody and tried to talk to him about Christ. And they said, look, I've seen what some Christians put on Twitter. I've seen what some Christian pastors who claim to represent God, what they put on Twitter, the way that they talk about people that they disagree with. And he listed the specific example of, of calling out people and calling them losers for simply disagreeing with them on a political issue. It wasn't a gospel issue. You see, if we are not reflecting the love and care for people, then we're a lot like these leaders in Micah chapter 3 who are professing to follow the Lord, but yet our lives are so empty of it. Christ has called us to seek his approval and not just self-righteousness and, and people to think that we have it all together. He sees our hearts. And so we want to make sure that we are not able to be accused of abusing the people that God has placed around us. But there's a second part of that, that same accusation so let's go back. He accuses them of forgetting right and wrong. He accuses them of abusing the people they're supposed to lead. 
And then he accuses them of the false prophets of seeking personal gain rather than truth. It's a constant theme throughout the Old Testament that the, the, the people were wanting to, to have tons of wealth here. They're wanting to, to build up their kingdom to be successful in everything that they have, but they're doing it at the expense of others. And, and here they have false prophets who they will tell you whatever you want to hear as long as you pay the right price. Look at what it says as you look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. It's really, really fascinating. As you study this text, that, that verse stood out to me a lot because they're, they're crying peace when they have something to eat. But the Hebrew there is never actually used in another place to say to eat. Every other place throughout the Old Testament where that word for Hebrew is used, it's actually to bite. And it's to bite like a snake. Like it's not just, you know, that you're putting food in your mouth, but there is like this lunging, this, this grasping, this, this snatching, this type of bite that is dangerous and venomous and, and coming out at you. And this bite that it's talking about, if we were to put the actual literal translation right here about these priests, about these prophets, it says this, who bite with their teeth and cry peace. And if one does not put something into their mouths, they declare war against them. You see the priest and the prophets during this time, they are willing to say whatever they wanted to, whatever you wanted them to say, as long as you paid the right price. They were greedy and that's why they were snatching at it. They were seeking for gain and wealth. They were not telling the truth of God's word. Instead, they were just tickling people's ears. You see that. We talked about it later. They give judgment for a bribe. It's priests teach for a price. It's prophets practice divination for money. They're not seeking the Lord. They're seeking a profit, gain, wealth, earthly gain and wealth. And you just see the way that these leaders, spiritual leaders, all these are leading the people astray. They're following after them, even though the leaders are abusing them. And, and we see that the judgment is coming. But truthfully, we see these things in our world today, don't we? When we look at, at our world today, we continue to see racism. We continue to see injustice. We continue to see hatred. We continue to see abuse of the poor and, and needy. And, and there's so much that continues to go on in our world to where honestly, as, as I watch the news, as I see the things that are going on, there are some days that I hold my kids a little bit longer, hug them a little bit tighter because I see the sin and evil in this world. Because I see the dangers in the world that we are growing up in. And, and I know the biblical worldview and I understand that, that we are in a world that is marred by sin all the way from Genesis chapter three. But my heart breaks when I see racism and injustice and poverty and all those things. knowing that the Lord had intended something so much greater. We need to be people who are willing to speak to these things. 
we as believers, as followers of Christ, need to be people who speak out against injustice, that people who see dignity in all people, that it's not people that are less or more, but that all people are seen in the character of God. Micah, as you look at verse 8, had the courage and the moral character to stand up for God's truth. Verse 8 says this, and I love this, this verse. It says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You see, Micah is willing to stand up. He knows that he practices what he's preaching. He knows that he is walking with the Lord, that he is standing in God's truth, and that he can stand up and proclaim God's character and his love to these people and call them to repentance. He didn't care that what he was calling them to went against popular thought, that, that even though they were worshiping these false gods, he was calling them to back to the one true king. Truthfully, he was like Jeremiah 20, verse 9, where Jeremiah is saying, look, it is like a fire in my bones. I have to speak about who God is and his plan for redemption. There's no way Micah can hold it in. He's been given this word for the, from the Lord and he also told people the consequences for their sins. As you look at the consequences, there is great despair coming for the people. I told you last week, Assyria is at the doorstep. They are wanting to, to conquer over the, the northern kingdom. They do that at some point around 722 BC. And then they're at the doorstep, ready for the southern kingdom as well, ready to take over Judah. But it says... In verse 12, this is the consequences of their sins, of, of the leadership there. It says, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. You see, the places that he's talking about there were places that the people would have had the most pride in. Jerusalem was the, the holy city, the, the mountaintop. It was the one that they sing psalms about. But here, Micah is telling them, because of their sin, Jerusalem's going to be brought down to ashes. It's going to be a heap of ruins. It's going to be plowed like a field. It will not be the great city. You look, and as, as history continues for them, they get taken into captivity by Babylon, and, and, and walls are torn down. And the people would have heard this, and there would have been great despair for them at the consequences of their sin. But we can't leave it there. You know, we have these chapters in our Bible of uh, three and four here, but this is one of those times where more than likely the, the chapter break, they're not divinely inspired. They just help us to navigate through the scriptures. But chapter four, the first five verses there are so important because they set this stark contrast compared to the end of chapter three. They, they really set it as one side to the other and, and it, it is an absolutely beautiful picture. So while we look at three and we have to spend time focusing on the consequences, focusing on their sin and the abuses that they had and, and examine our life, make sure we're not in that same boat. Four is incredible because in four it tells you this, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. 
that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Love that. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You see, while three ends with the unbelievable despair of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, four begins with an unimaginable joy of the new Jerusalem that is to come, of the the holy city that will one day, that we will all enter into. And the incredible thing here as you're looking at it is it's talking about the nations shall come. The warning of three is that the nations are coming and they're conquering and there's conquest and there's destruction. But the beauty of four is that the nations are coming because they know that the one true God is there. They know that his word is coming forth from that city. And the really amazing thing through it, as you think through this, we've seen this partially fulfilled because we've seen the way that God's word has gone throughout all the nations how people from Russia and China and India and United States and Peru and all over this wonderful globe that God has created, there are people who know him as the one true king. And that truth has come from his word right here. And so we see this partial fulfillment. There's this joy that comes that the nations are coming together. Jerusalem is high and lifted up because it is the holy city. How amazing is it the peace that's described here? It talks about how they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. For a nation like Judah that had gone through battle after battle from Jericho to Goliath to everywhere in between against the Amalekites, the the Philistines and, and so many other people. There is a promise here in four of a coming peace. That should be encouraging for us today, too. That even with all the wars that are going on all over the world and God is going to be ruling this city and there will be complete peace. There is no injustice because he is the just one. There is no unrighteousness because he is righteous. And as we we look, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that this is a kingdom that is unshakable. What an incredible picture of heaven and how it is to come of this kingdom that will be coming down that we as followers of Christ get to be a part of. So do you know Christ? Have you ever submitted your life to him as your king and as your savior? Have you confessed from your sin, turned from your evil ways? Have you you left the sins of chapter 3 
in order to celebrate the joy of chapter 4. There's an incredible picture in Revelation chapter 21 of what this is going to look like. We'll bounce around a little bit. The whole chapter really deals with the New Jerusalem, but it says in 21 verse 2, And and I saw the holy city, a New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Flip over a few verses to, to verse 10. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And then as you continue the chapter, looking at verse 22 through 27, it says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, as we look at this, it is a picture of what eternity is going to look like. We've seen partial fulfillment of people from all different nations coming. We're promised that here in Revelation 21, but we actually get to see this coming peace You know, the United Nations is not going to ever bring peace. That's what it was intended for. It can't bring it to the world. But the king of all nations, when he is reigning supreme from his holy city in New Jerusalem, there will be peace throughout the world. So as you finish Revelation 21, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you asked him to be your king and your savior? Have you churned from sin and turn to him. My point for you today is don't be like the leaders of Judah. Don't be like chapter 3. But submit your life completely to the heavenly king. Live as an ambassador for him. Making a difference for his kingdom across the street and around the world. I have a few questions for you as I always do. I like to give you an opportunity to discuss some of these things as a family. If you're getting to watch as a family. But my first question is this, do you have a burning desire in your heart to tell others about Christ? We talked about that with Micah, we looked at it in Jeremiah. Is there this insatiable insatiable desire to tell other people about your King and your Savior? Number two, as we looked at the leaders, their lives didn't reflect the things that they said. My question is, is there anything in your life that doesn't reflect what you know scripture says is true? Is there something in your life that you need to get rid of so that your life lines up with God's truth? Number three, as we looked at Revelation 21 and talked about the coming kingdom in in Micah chapter four, my question is, what about heaven do you look forward to the most? What excites you about heaven? What do you, when you think about heaven, what is it that you're looking forward to? Number four, 
how does your excitement affect uh, your excitement about heaven affect your life today? Does it change anything? Does it give you joy? Does it help you through trials? Does it give you an urgency to share the gospel? We don't know when Christ will return, but we know he's coming. And so, leads me to question number five. If you knew Jesus was, was returning tomorrow, what would be different about your life today? What would change? What would be the priority? I hope that as you talk through those questions, think through those questions, that it helps you to really focus back on Micah 3 and 4 and realize the hope that we have in King Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Lord, knowing that each day is a gift from you, Lord, we praise you for the sunshine that you have for us outside. We thank you for technology to where we can study your word together. Father, I pray uh, that we will be people who are drawn to you that our lives will look like you, that our, we will, will lead people, will influence people like you did when you walked this earth. Father, we pray uh, for, for people who hear this to come to know you, that they will be in this heavenly city one day, that they will have you as their king, and Lord, that we can rejoice together in how you are still moving and saving souls today. Give us an urgency to share the gospel. And Lord, help our lives to match the things that we say. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.